Good morning. Uh, I'd like to begin with just taking a, a moment to, to spend a, a moment in prayer for the tragedy that happened in Orlando um, a week from now. And uh, just really feel it's something we as a church need to address and, and keep on our hearts as well. So let's pray. Lord, we hurt over what we have seen on our television screens, in the news, in our hearts. We're confused, mourning, angry. I pray that you would address our hearts. And just in there, Lord God, would you work up love, let well, love well up in our hearts and come out of our, our lips in prayer. And I pray for the situation, which is complex in many threads. There's all sorts of things being debated and discussed. There's religion and politics, identity. There's, just, there's many difficult aspects of this, Lord God. And so we ask that you would Bring your presence upon Orlando. Would you comfort that city? Would you, Lord God, comfort those fathers who are weeping right now for their lost children? Mothers whose hearts just are torn. Friends, family. Would you bring healing Lord God, to that city, to the communities involved, would you allow there to be, in some way, Lord God, um, the truth of who you are coming to, to bear on this, the recognition that what we need to overcome hate with love. We pray for those that are hurting. We pray for those who would perpetrate such violence. Lord, would you put the fear of God in them, that they would drop weapons, they would not take such actions. We just pray that we as a church would learn to love and to listen and to, to let your spirit work through us. In Jesus Christ's name, amen. Thank you. So we've been walking with Joseph. We began with him as like a, a 17-year-old, kind of probably r reminds us of uh, Ryan Allison there in the video. Crazy. But now he's gone through... Mark Evans' spiritual formation program a bit, so he's, he's kind of got himself a little more mature. He's watched God continuously pop into places where it wasn't expected. And now he's the strongest, most powerful man in the world, under the Pharaoh. And he has two little kids he's bouncing on his knee, fruitful and forgetful. I always think it'd be very interesting having a child named Manessa, which means to forget. And so every time you look at him, you forget. You remember to forget that you were once thrown into a pit. It'd be a weird way to forget, right? So every day you're holding your son Manessa. I forget that tragedy. He probably didn't forget. He wanted to forget. He had a new life, and it was beautiful with beautiful children and a wife and Meanwhile, in Canaan, there is a famine. The earth has cracked. It needs 
the water to soak in there, but for now, it's destitute. And there's these brothers, the sons of Jacob, who are all coming together trying to figure out, kind of just don't know what to do. And I actually really love the scriptures. This is this thing that Jacob says. Why do you keep just looking at each other? What kind of what a parent would say, a father would say. What are you doing just looking at each other? We're starving here. So he says, why don't you go to Egypt? I heard that there's food there. There's wheat there. There's sheaves there. Why don't you head to Egypt? And so the, the brothers all get themselves together, the 11 of them, they start to go off. And then Jacob just kind of grabs the robe of the, of the last one. and won't, He won't let go. Benjamin, no. Benjamin, no, you're not. You can't go. You're staying here. If I lose you, I will die. My heart will be broken. Benjamin, you got to stay here. Favoritism is continued. And so the brothers set off to Egypt to find their grain. And you must have imagined kind of the surprise as the vizier is sitting there making sure the wheat is given out properly to different people. And he sees this kind of ragtag bunch. He notices that he recognizes the style of the haircuts, kind of the facial features. And they walk up and they bow down. The dream's probably just screaming in his head, ringing like, ah! Just see these people in front of him. The sheaves, the thieves are bowing to him. Yeah! I can see them like, imagine like, ah! Told you in your face! <laughs> kind of probably part of it is like, the dream is fulfilled. But now his heart is filled with something new, and it's, it's, it's a confusion. And so he pretends he doesn't know them, and he speaks harshly to them. Where'd you come from, Canaan? You're spies. You're coming here to look at my unprotected lands. No, no, we're not. You are spies. And then one of them replies, your servants were 12 brothers. The sons of one man who lives in the land of Canaan. The youngest is now with our father. And one is no more. At least they still think about me. I'm still one of the 12. You can imagine what's going on in his head. He hears him confess the loss of this brother. And he looks at them in the eyes and says, no, you're spies. And we're going to test this. We're gonna, this is how we're going to test you. It's interesting he goes to this test. We're going to take one of you, and we're going to send you back home, and we're going to keep the rest of you locked in this prison. And so he puts them in jail for three days. Comes back after three days. It kind of feels like that was a little bit of overreaction. Here's what we're going to do. We're going to send 
all of you home except for one. We're going to keep one here in prison. Because I'm not going to keep you all in prison because I fear God, which is a very interesting thing. I fear God. That should have been a clue. Like, what? Did, you say, did he just say our, our God's name? No, he, he fears God. We're going to keep one of you. In the background, a conversation begins between the brothers. That's very interesting. It says that they're speaking in Hebrew to each other. And Joseph pretends he can't understand Hebrew because he's been using a translator this whole time. And so they're all arguing. And then one of them speaks up and says, surely we're being punished because of our brother. We saw how distressed he was when he pleaded for his life, but we wouldn't listen. That's why this distress has come upon us. Imagine if you heard this pseudo-confession. Reuben replied, didn't I tell you not to sin against the boy? But you wouldn't listen, and now we must give an accounting of his blood. This guilt has sat on them for a long time. And now here they are in prison, and they're feeling the guilt of their conscience. And then he takes Simeon and he binds him. I always wonder what Simeon did in particular. Like, why did he pick Simeon? Maybe Simeon said something extra. Maybe there's a little extra weight with Simeon. And he sends them back. You just imagine right now, put yourself in Joseph's situation. He's kind of just hit by this fact that all of a sudden he has these traitors in his midst. These people who gave him to the slave traders. They're right in front of him, and he could meet out justice at this moment, what they deserve. But he's, he's confused by the emotions he's feeling. They're his brothers. And so he sends them on, and what he does is he orders them all uh, to get their, their grain, and then he tells the servants, put the, the silver back in their bags. Now what's going on here is Joseph is playing some head games. It's a little but confused himself. He doesn't know what to do. He's going to test them. And so he, he puts the silver in their bag. And when they head home, they realize, uh-oh, why is the silver in my bag? One of them says, why did God do this to us? They're going to say, we stole the silver. We can't go back. But they have Simeon. And so he sends them back to the dad. And Jacob receives them and says, I'm missing one. Yeah, Dad, so what happened was we were talking to the ruler there, and he spoke very harshly, got very angry with us, said we were spies, and said that we can't get Simeon back until we take Benjamin there. What? And Reuben says, okay, Dad, um, uh, yeah, I knew this was going to be hard, so I got a deal for you. Let's do it. Let's take Benjamin there. And if we don't get Benjamin back here, then you can kill two of my sons. That'll be fair treat. I'm sure that really made Grandpa happy. Oh, yeah. I'll just kill my grandchildren after losing other children. Like, what kind of solution is this, Reuben? But he's desperate trying to figure out, like, God, I got to figure this out. If, if Benjamin goes there, they'll keep Benjamin. I've already lost one. I'm going to lose another one. He's counting sons. He's, like, seeing them disappear. I've already lost Joseph. Now I've lost Simeon. He already, he's given up hope. I've lost Simeon. If I lose Benjamin, I will go down to the grave and I will die. First of all, poor Simeon. Dad's like, eh, I guess he's in prison. 
But famines do this weird thing about reducing your food supply to nothing. And nature has this weird way of needing food and making you do anything for food. And so eventually Jacob says, okay, kids, go get some more food. And they're like, dad, we told you, like, we can't go get food. Simeon's there, locked up. If we come back without Benjamin, we're all done. And then Judah steps up. And, 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 and Jacob's kind of arguing with him. He's not very happy. He actually says things like, why did you bring this trouble on us and tell them I had these sons anyways? Like, what's wrong with you? Why are you talking about all the kids you had? Now I'm going to take Benjamin? And they're like, but what were we supposed to do? This guy was really direct. He asked questions like, who's your dad? And how many brothers do you have? And what happened to this other brother? He was like, it was weird. He's finally like, okay, well, sure. Judah steps in and actually says to him, I promise that I will take personal responsibility if anything happens to Benjamin. It's a very interesting place now. Not threatening to kill himself. He's just like, Dad, I, it's on me. This is on me. And he steps up. And his dad allows Benjamin to be released. And he says, may, may God grant you mercy with this man. May you, may you receive some mercy from the hands of this ruler. And he sends him off, because I am bereaved, I am bereaved, I am bereaved. And so they take the trek, and they arrive in Egypt. And as they come, they come to see Joseph. And Joseph sees them and says, hurry, hurry up. Let's go make a big meal. We'll have a feast at my house. We'll bring him over there. Tells all his servants this. But they start getting spooked. The brothers are like, ooh, this is weird. Why are we going to this powerful guy's house? And what comes to their head is actually, they're going to come. This is because of the silver. We have all the extra silver. We, we want to repay it, but we have it. And, and now they're going to take us, capture, and make us slaves. Does anyone have a little bit of hidden guilt in their heads? Focusing on this whole idea that we're going to be taking slaves. Because that's what happens in Egypt. And so they go to the steward and they say to the steward, like, listen, man, like, we, ha we have all this extra gold, uh, silver. We brought double, though. We're going to give you back the silver that we had from last time and plus more silver. So just, is that everything going to be okay? Like, and the steward says the most amazing thing. He says, don't be afraid. Your God, the God of your father, has given your treasure to your sacks. I received your silver. All of a sudden, this curveball of peace and the, and the turmoil and the chaos of these brothers' minds is a, a, a foreigner saying to them, God's got this. Your God has this. You can imagine how they're thinking and what they're thinking. And so they come before Joseph and they, they bow down again. And they say, your servant, our father, your servant, our father. It's an interesting fulfillment of the dream again. Is okay. And he looks over and he sees his brother Benjamin sitting there and he's like, 
This is, this is his, his one shot. This is full family. This is, we're full blood. Those other brothers are the ones who betray me. But Benjamin, like we're, we're connected. And he just starts weeping. Be gracious, my son. And he runs out of the room just weeping. He has, he has to hide himself. He's prime minister. And he's weeping and he's weeping. And he finally pulls his composure back together. He comes back in. He serves food. He gives like five times the amount of, to Benjamin. It's like a five patty Big Mac type thing. They're all the little skinny ones. And they have this party and they feast and, and he's loving it. Ah. And finally, he doesn't know what to do. So he thinks test number two. And he sends them back. And he says, fill them with as much food as they can take. Give them back their silver. And can you put my golden goblet, my silver chalice, in the backpack of the youngest? And off they leave. You can imagine they're like, we made it out of Egypt. We got food. We got gold. And we got Benjamin and Simeon. Yeah, we pulled this one off. And as they're leaving and they get out of the city, all of a sudden they can hear Pharaoh's chariots. Someone has stolen the vizier's chalice that he uses for divination. Well, it wasn't us. Was it you? No, 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 no. Okay. Okay. If, if you find it amongst us, we'll become your slaves. Again, with the slave thing. We'll become your slaves. And so they start going, it says, from the, the oldest to the youngest. They build the suspense. I won't go through each name. But eventually, Benjamin. They open up. There is the silver chalice. And they take him, and they take him back to the city. The brothers don't know what to do. They're kind of like, you're free. He's going with us. And they have a decision. They can go home, or they can try to get back their long-lost brother. They haven't been the best at getting back their brothers. Made Simeon wait for a while. Joseph was gone forever. And they turn around and they head back to the city and they come to Joseph and they bow before him and they, they say, well, we, we, we don't know what to do. Joseph says, why would you do a thing like this to me? Don't you know that I have the power of divination? And Judah replies, how can we prove our innocence? God has uncovered your servant's guilt. It's a very interesting, powerful phrase. God has uncovered your servant's guilt. I don't know what's happened. We didn't steal the chalice, but we are guilty. And Judah steps up and he pulls up Joseph off the side and says, pardon your servant, my Lord. Let me speak a word. Do not be angry with your servant, even though you're equal to Pharaoh himself. My Lord asked his servants, do you have a father or a brother? And we said, yeah, we have an old dad. His brother's dead. This is the only one left. And you said to your servants, bring him down so I can see him. And we said, the boy can't leave his father or his father will die. But you said, you have to, otherwise you won't see me again. And the father said, go back and get some food. 
And my dad said, you know that my wife bore me two sons. One of them went away from me, and I said, he has been torn to pieces. I've not seen him since. If you take this one from me, and harm comes to him, you'll bring my gray head down to the grave in misery. My dad will die if you do this. So now, the boy's not with us when I go back. My father, whose life is closely bound up with the boy's life, if he sees he's not there, he's going to die. Your servants will bring the gray hair of our father down to the grave in sorrow. And your servant guaranteed the boy's safety to my father. I said, if I don't bring him back to you, I will bear the blame before you, my father, all my life. So now... Please let your servant remain here as my Lord's slave in place of the boy. And let the boy return to his brothers. How can I go back to my father if the boy is not with me? No, do not let me see the misery that would come to my father. Judah is the one who suggested Joseph be sold into slavery. Judah is the one who conspired to get rich off of his brother's enslavement. And now, through all these years, we finally see Judah gets it. And even though Benjamin's not a son of his mom, Judah realizes they're brothers. And Judah finally says, take me. Can we, can we trade places here? Let me take his guilt and let him be freed. When Joseph sees what Judah just did, it hits him in, in the heart. Because now he's got to deal with the reality that his brother knows his guilt, has confessed his guilt, has given and changed so much that now he's willing to lay down his life for his brother instead of his own. You can imagine what happens. Joseph just gets struck with, with so much emotion that it says he weeps loudly. He, he runs from the room. He's weeping so loudly that other people start to hear him. He says, clear them out of my presence. Get them, get, get them all out of here. And he comes down to his brothers and he looks them in the eyes and he says, I'm Joseph. Is my dad still alive? What happened to the brothers? It says that they, they can't reply. They're just frozen. The abusers are now looking directly in the eyes of their accuser. He says, come close to me beautiful moment of forgiveness. Come, come close to me. And he brings them in. As he holds them, I'm your brother, the one you left in Egypt, but you know what? Don't be distressed. Do not be angry with yourself for selling me because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. God sent me ahead of you to preserve a remnant on earth. So it wasn't you. It was God. 
So now, brothers, can you go back? Go back to dad. Tell him that he's made me Lord over all of Egypt. Tell him what he's done with me. And bring them back here. And Pharaoh has said that you can take the finest of foods and everything. Just bring it back. And as the, the caravan starts to leave, in disbelief, one of them, one of the 12, is now in charge of Egypt. In disbelief that their brother's alive, in disbelief that they've been forgiven by their brother, who could easily now have them incarcerated for all of their crime. And as they leave, what I love about it, Joseph shows a little bit of uh, understanding. Like, yeah, there's been this redemption, there's been some reconciliation happening here, but he knows who his brothers are. And so as they're kind of parting down the way, he says, Don't quarrel on the way. Don't throw any of you into a pit. This is a very foreign story, yeah, a very personal story. A lot of us can't understand all the grandiose ideas of Egypt and Canaan, but we can get the idea of a family that needs some reconciliation. A family that's been so broken that it seems unredeemable. It might not be like attempted murder, which they try to do to their own brother Joseph. It might not be enslavement, forcible confinement, slave trading. But there's definitely things that happen in the lives of our families that are really hard to reconcile, really difficult. There's a lot of things that I've kind of learned. It's Father's Day, and, and for some people, that's a beautiful day. And for other people, that's a hard day. That's because they can think of maybe their dad was abusive, or maybe a dad who just is not able to ha- spend the day with their, their children. There can be a lot of things that start to, to make life difficult. We start to think about families and reconciliation. And There's a few things I think I'm learning from this story. The first is that in terms of this type of abuse, whether it's mental, physical, spiritual, sexual abuse, it needs to be addressed. This this was not going to be okay until we finally hear the brothers starting to address their own guilt. To recognize what's happened. And that's an important part of of reconciliation. Families reconcile, being able to speak, not just sweep it under the carpet. How do we actually talk about this stuff? And it's not easy. And it's really difficult. Another thing that comes with this for me when I think about the story of reconciliation is that it takes time. We heard Cole talking about waiting on God, and it, it takes time. It's not going to happen right away. There's a lot of confusing emotions involved with this. Jonah's trying to figure out, like, what do I think about my brothers? What do I want to do? Waiting on God is it's not going to happen just overnight. And with this idea of reconciliation, you start recognizing, like, it gets messy. It kind of gets weird. It can get unfair because sometimes even the person who's maybe been uh, the victim starts to not always act in the best ways either. So it starts to get more difficult. 
So someone's wrong, then they wrong the other, and it gets wrong, and wrong. I was just thinking about Joseph, even how he's playing these head games with his brothers, hiding silver and sacks and stuff like that. He can't, he can't do something. And then it starts getting really convoluted and kind of crazy. Is, is there room for testing of some sort? I would argue sometimes there is. There might be times when you need to, uh, as you're trying to reconcile a relationship, there's going to be kind of, you know, moments where you start to recognize, I'll, I'll trust you with this, but I don't, can't go this far. How do we make sure that your character has actually changed? And so there's a, there's a role sometimes for finding barriers or, or protective coverings over things and trying to figure out, when you're, and you're in the midst of reconciliation, take some wisdom to figure out, how do we untie this mess? How are my emotions playing off of this? But there's two things that have to happen. The first one is that there has to be a confession of guilt in order to be released from all that guilt of the enslaving their brothers. It had to be spoken out. There had to be an actual repentance, an asking of forgiveness, an understanding of their blood guilt. And then after that, which takes a lot of character to be able to finally say, I did this. Then comes this response, and this is the place where it gets very difficult, where the Holy Spirit of God needs to be involved in someone's life, because this is the place where the person extends a hand of forgiveness. Mercy. Who doesn't take the rod of justice and give them what they deserved. They deserve to be slaves. They deserved punishment from the state. And yet, the judge extends a hand. Come, come closer to me. There's a lot of self-sacrifice. Judah has to be ready to sacrifice himself. Joseph has to sacrifice his right for justice. And it's coming with a lot of tears and a lot of need for forgiveness. But there's a character that comes here. And people have been changed. Family feuds are common. Family reconciliation is a more rare bird. Whether it's in families, whether it's in churches, whether it's in cities. This idea of this supernatural forgiveness. That into the brokenness, God has been working there the whole time. And that's what Joseph comes up. That's his main theological point. He comes to the end. Somehow, God has taken this mess of a family and he's brought in salvation out of it. But today we're going to witness a baptism. And to me, this is like the most beautiful picture that we can have of, of this idea of reconciliation. That we've all looked our Father God in the eye and told him, I don't care. I hate you. Whether it's by our lips or just our actions, not paying attention to him, doing things we know are purposely wrong, building up all this sinning, and getting the family kind of broken. God and his human family are broken. There's a real need for reconciliation. 
And Jesus says, hey, Dad, you take me, and let's change spots, and I'll take all the justice, all the pain, everything that comes with that brokenness they have, and I'm going to take that on me, and let, let, let them go free. And so as we go into the waters of baptism, what we're seeing is a picture of reconciliation between God and humanity. Between a child of God and her, and her, her father, God. And as we see this reconciliation, let it be an understanding that, that the, the water washes over the, all sin, all strife. It's able, in the power of Jesus Christ, to overcome all family feuds and bring together reconciliation. We have a few words for some of the, the baptizees that you'll like uh, to hear their story and how they've experienced this love and this power of Christ in their lives.